Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. We're glad you can join us as Pastor Dane Skelton shares a weekly message to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Here's Pastor Dane. We are in a series called Magnificent Marriage, and today we're going to talk about probably one of the most important uh, tools or skills that you can have to build a marriage, and that is conflict, conflict and how to resolve it in a marriage. Let me begin with um, verse 15 of Matthew chapter 18. If your brother, or I might include your wife or your husband, sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But how? How do we do that, especially when we're married to them? Bill Hybels is the pastor of Willow Creek Community Church up in Chicago. It's a huge church up there. It's been there for 30-some-odd years now. And he said in 1974, his wife Lynn and I had been married about two months, and she informed me that the garbage disposal had quit working. And I said, call a repairman. She said, what do you mean call a repairman? Why pay $50 for a job any able-bodied man can do? Well, you don't expect me to do it, do you? I don't know anything about garbage disposals. I'd probably electrocute uh, electrocute myself. Besides, we're short on butter knives. I don't know what that has to do with this. You could do it if you tried. You just don't care enough. The problem was that Lynn's dad had fixed things. Her brother's had fixed things. Her uncles fixed things, her cousins fixed things, and she just assumed all men fixed things. Unless, unless they weren't interested in what was going on in the home. Unless they were too preoccupied with concerns outside the home to devote 30 minutes to household needs. From my side, he said, I had never had a successful experience with anything mechanical in my life. Raise your hand, Phil Ramsey. (laughs) Phil and Andy. I never had a successful experience with anything mechanical in my life. I knew I would waste hours and probably money if I tried to fix the garbage disposal or anything else. And I also believed, get this, as my father had taught, that the sensible approach was to stick with what I was good at and pay someone else to do what I wasn't good at. Being Christ-like in a marriage is a tall order. And there are all sorts of ways to have conflict. It's like Mike Williams said, How am I supposed to love my wife as Christ loved the church? And when I'm doing really great just to keep myself from strangling her with my what would Jesus do bracelet. (laughs) Another guy said, if two people live together for 20 years and never have an argument, one of them isn't necessary. (laughs) So sources of conflict abound in every marriage. They're there in every marriage. But you would be surprised at how, maybe not, you'd be surprised at how many people avoid conflict in marriage. They never learn to work through it. 
They never develop conflict resolution skills. And so their marriages just limp along, struggling ever to achieve the intimacy that God designed for them to have, the joy and the strength that they were meant to share. So I want to say something right up front that's probably going to shock you, but conflict in a marriage is a good thing. Conflict in a marriage is a good thing. And there are three reasons that it is a good thing. Number one, it is an opportunity to go deep with your mate, to develop intimacy, to learn things about him or her that you never could have known if the conflict had not happened. Because things are going to come to the surface in conflict and you're going to have to talk about things that you would not have discussed. And that builds intimacy. Second, it's an opportunity for growth as you tap into each other's strengths and as you learn to compensate for each other's weaknesses. So it's an opportunity for personal growth. Third, it's an opportunity to become more like Christ. And that is where people who are followers of Christ and have been filled with the Holy Spirit have such an advantage over people who have not in a marriage. Because you can call, just like we just did, on the power of the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, live out the life of Christ in me and help me to love and serve my mate in a way that I couldn't have even imagined before knowing you. So it's an opportunity to become more like Christ. So what I want to do today is just cover three common sources of conflict. Everybody has these. Three common sources of conflict in marriage and three possible solutions for them. Uh, there are more areas of conflict that we could cover, but I'm just going to, I only have really time to, to develop these three. So the first source of conflict that can happen is parents, your parents. And I don't mean by that that your mother-in-law is calling her son uh, every other day. I don't mean by that that your parents are sticking their noses into your marriage. What I mean by that is just like in the opening story with Bill and Lynn Hybels, the way our parents raised us, the way they approached life, what they did as much as what they said, sets our expectations for our marriages. Bill Hybel's dad taught him to go with his strengths and pay others to do what he lacked the skill to do. The men in Lynn's family could fix anything with some duct tape and a butter knife. And so you just, you just grow up with this expectation, that's how it's going to be in my marriage. When it may not, that may not be the case at all. My dad was a pragmatic kind of guy who was rebuilding internal combustion engines from the time he was 12 or 13 years old. Um, Krista's dad would not know a water pump from a carburetor to this day. But Krista's dad is very good with flowers. He used to grow flowers in their yard all the time. He was also really good with colors. He was a snazzy dresser. He is a snazzy dresser to this day. So in, in our house, in one of our houses in Marietta, Georgia, before we moved here, there was this beautiful dogwood tree at our house. In, and this house had been landscaped before we bought it by a professional landscaper. And there was a beautiful dogwood tree. And the dogwood tree had a branch that hung right out over the driveway, right at about window level of your car. And then there was this big pine tree on the exact opposite side of the driveway, so you couldn't really go around it. And I'm kind of like my dad, and so somebody had given me a, a chainsaw that didn't work, and I got the chainsaw working and was out in the backyard cutting up some old trees, 
and I got done with the old trees in the backyard and I still had gas in the chainsaw. And you know it's a bad idea to leave gas in a chainsaw. You need to run it all out. So you can, you, you know what happened next, right? I went after the branch on the dogwood tree and Krista came running out of the house and said, stop, you're killing the dogwood tree. And I said, I'm not killing it. Now I have to tell you, you have to admire a woman that has that kind of courage to run after a guy with a running chainsaw in his hand. She said, you're killing the dogwood tree. I said, no, I'm not killing it. I'm just cutting the, the limb off that's hitting the cart. We were in an argument, one of, you know, one of our few arguments. And here's the thing. I did not understand how important, even at that point, we'd been married some years, I did not understand how important beauty was in Krista's life. And she didn't understand how important it was for me for that limb not to scratch my car when I drove down the driveway. Or how much fun it is to play with your chainsaw. <laughs> and so that's an illustration of, of what can happen in conflict. She asked me, she said, why were you killing the dogwood tree? I said, because there was still gas in the chainsaw. That was why. Here's the conflict resolution skill. Um, you remember, some of you, you'd have to be pretty old to remember this cartoon. It's called Pogo. A little cartoon called Pogo. And Pogo said, we have met the enemy, and he is us. <laughs> we are our own worst enemies when it comes to resolving conflict because we do three things. We rush into it, we raise our voices, and we rant. We rant. So what we need to do is the exact opposite. I need to clarify here and say that Krista was not ranting, okay? She was not ranting, tomorrow's my birthday and I want to have a nice one. Um, but we, we need to do the exact opposite. We need to slow down, we don't need to rush into it. You have to slow down the communication process. When you realize that you are in a conflict, you need to remember something that the Navy SEALs practice. Fast is slow, and slow is fast. These guys are professionals at being in conflict and winning. <laughs> fast is slow, and slow is fast. If you rush into a conflict, not clearly understanding what, what's in front of you and the, what, what the real issues are, you're going to make a mess out of it. So you have to slow the communication process down. I really did not know how important that dogwood branch was to my wife. I really didn't. If I'd have understood it, I probably wouldn't have cut it off. She really didn't know how much it bothered me when it scratched the car, because I hadn't explained that to her. Now, in this case, for all she knew, I was going to cut the whole tree down, really. That's how excited I get with a chainsaw. <laughs> um, so I was impressed by her urgency, but we had to slow down and we had to understand one another. Too many assumptions happen too fast when we rush into a conflict. Slow the communication process down, proceed with extra respect, especially if there are others about. You really shouldn't even get into a conflict if there are other people about, including children. Second thing, keep your voice down. Keep your voice down. In a con and I don't mean like this. 
Keep your voice down. Get control of yourself before you go into a conflict. I, 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 I went and spent some time talking to a counselor about this one time, and he gave me this advice. He said, you need, when you know that you're headed into a situation where there's going to be conflict, you need to be the nap. I said, be the nap? What are you talking about? He said, you need to be the non-anxious presence in the room. And if you know that you can't be, you need to leave and go figure out why you can't be the non-anxious presence and don't come back until you figure that out. If you it, it, Don't engage in the discussion. Go somewhere without blaming your spouse for how you feel. Just excuse yourself. Just say, you know, I'm upset and I need to go get myself sorted out and we'll come and talk about this later. And Because if you feel out of control, like you're going to lose your temper, you are out of the self-control of the Holy Spirit. One of the gifts of the Spirit is self-control. So you need to go and you say, Spirit of God, you say that in Christ I am not a slave. Romans 6, look it up. I'm not a slave, but I feel enslaved to anger right now. And I confess that as sin because you don't want me to be a slave to anything. And so I ask you to be within me the peaceful presence that I do not have the power to be. Amen. And then you start to sort things out and then you go and communicate. The third part of it, reason don't rant. Slow down, don't rush. Keep your voice down, don't raise your voice. Third, reason don't rant. Ranting and raving has become popular entertainment in America. You remember the, you see the movie, the, remember the movie, the guy had a baseball bat in his hands like, I'm not taking it anymore. You know, that's kind of popular entertainment in America. Um, and that's taken the place of serious communication and observation and commentary, but it's incredibly destructive and it has no place in a Christian home. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. And this, by the way, is from the New American Standard Version of the Bible, which is a kind of a wooden but pretty literal uh, translation of the Greek. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural. It's even demonic, he says. When there's bitterness and resentment and jealousy and all that bile, that's demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. Wow. I mean, think about bringing those characteristics into any conflict that you encounter. And he says, the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's how you do this. So reason is pure. Reason is peaceable. 
Reason is gentle. Reason is full of mercy. And you can go a long way by achieving this in your marriage by taking two phrases out of your vocabulary. Never use these phrases in your marriage. You never and you always. Eliminate those two phrases from your married vocabulary and you will go a long way toward achieving the gentleness of wisdom. Because what happens is when we say those things, when we say you always and you never, what we're doing is we're telling our mates that even though we said that we forgave some insult, we never really did. Even though we promised we would agree to something, internally we never really did. Ranting raises walls, reasonableness builds bridges. So one of the first areas of conflict is uh, what our, just how we grew up with our parents. And what we need to learn to do is, like Stephen Covey said, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Second source of conflict is money. Money. Almost every married couple runs into some kind of conflict about money. Uh, my dad was one of those guys who had his fingers in a lot of pies. He was trying to operate a lot of businesses all at one time. And because of this, his energies and his capital were scattered and money was always tight. Excuse me. Now, he ended up getting a, a really good mentor and just before he, he died, he was starting to figure it out and to invest his energy and capital in only one or two businesses and let them grow before he expanded into others. But because money was tight, we almost never took nice vacations. And when we did go, we always ate on the cheap. Have you ever cooked hot dogs on the intake manifold of your V8 station wagon going down the highway wrapped up in tinfoil? You ever done that? No? Have you ever cooked a can of pork and beans on the intake manifold of your V8 engine going down the highway? <laughs> Do you know what happens if you leave the pork? Have you ever smelled pork and beans when they blew up on the intake manifold <laughs> of your V8 engine? So I had these experiences in my head, and when I became an adult, and I got my first real job, and I got married, and we took our first vacation, I was working on a value system that said internally, and I didn't even know it yet, I mean, it was really not a conscious thing yet, but I had this value system that said, I ain't eating no stinking pork and beans burned off the top of the manifold of the V8 engine. I'm not doing it. I've saved my money, I've worked all year, I'm going on vacation and I'm gonna spend every dime. And I'm gonna eat what I wanna eat and enjoy what I wanna enjoy and I don't care if we come back with a dollar. But I hadn't told my wife. And my wife, God bless her, is a frugal woman. I, I wish for you a, few, a frugal wife. Uh, and so we were on our vacation and I realized that she was doing her normal thing. She was being frugal because, because it's, like, it's, like a, it's like a game. It's like a contest. When you're a frugal person, if you can beat the budget and come home with money, you won. You know? it's, and, she, and so she enjoys that. And it's, I'm going to tell you, I hope you marry a frugal woman, Caleb, <laughs> Michael. You know, all you guys out there, they're not married yet. God bless my wife. But I was operating from this internal 
system that I kind of had not even articulated yet, and she was operating from frugality, and so we kind of got into kind of a conflict, and I had I'd stop. I said, no, we're going to spend all of it. And she said, do we have to? And it's like, what's wrong with you? I said, yes, we have to spend all of it. Well, finally, I had to back up and, I, and understand in myself, said, okay, here's the deal. I want to have a nice vacation. And I didn't really get to, you know, we were always scrimping and saving and watching. And it's like, I don't want to do that. That doesn't feel like vacation to me. We'll do that the rest of the year. Um, so there was this conflict a little bit o- over money. And it really doesn't matter how, and, and the thing is, we've been married 29 years next month, and we have never blown up a can of pork and beans on the, on the V8 engine. <laughs> so um, it doesn't matter how much money or how little money a couple earns together, there's almost always some conflict over how you spend it or invest it. So what you have to do, and probably the most important conflict resolution skill for couples as it relates to money is before you ever spend a dime together you have to back up and identify your values and it's it's just it's amazing to me how many people never did this but you have to back up and identify your values look at Luke chapter 12 verses 13 through 21 Luke chapter 12 Verses 13 through 21. Jesus tells a parable. It's the parable of the rich fool. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Isn't that interesting? There's a conflict about money, and it's in a family. Jesus says, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? He said, I'm not, I'm not going to be a judge for you. But watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he tells him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what am I going to do? Got no place to store my crops. Here's what I'll do. I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'm going to store all my grain and all my goods. And I'm going to say to myself, you have plenty of goods laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool this very night your life will be demanded from you then who will get what you have prepared for yourself this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God now don't forget the guy who's standing there asking Jesus to arbitrate between him and his brother over the money He's standing there, so what's Jesus just told him? Hey, son, you need to identify your values because it's all going to burn one day. And you need to figure out what's really important, having more of the money or honoring God. You've got to work that out in your head and in your heart before you ever go talk to your brother about money again. Figure out what's important to you. The greatest financial issue you will face in your marriage is not which car to buy, whether or not to go out to dinner on vacation, whether to buy the iPhone 4 or wait for the iPhone 5. It is what your values as a couple are going to be. Will we have possessions or will possessions have us? 
Will we trust God and invest in His kingdom? Or are we just going to invest it all in ourselves? Is it important to us to have a new wardrobe every spring? Or can we get by uh, with thrift thrift store shoes? What's more important? When you identify those values, every couple early in marriage has to sit down, identify their financial values, and after that, the day-to-day decisions almost make themselves. I'm, I'm not kidding about that. They almost make themselves. Because you've already decided what's important, and your money's going to go towards that. Another really important thing is developing your budget together and identifying, emphasizing your values as you do. If you don't understand how to do that, your financial management is just uh, uh, like black magic to you. Go find a Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University uh, series and pay the $95 and attend it and do it. It'll be one of the best investments you ever make. But the main thing is, is identify those values and then just be consistent about following them. Okay, last source of conflict that we'll we'll deal with today is uh, what I call hidden trauma points in your mate's life. Hidden trauma points in your mate's life. We live in a fallen world. Everyone has, that's, that's the biblical worldview. We live in a fallen world. Everyone has experienced some kind of tragedy, some kind of trauma, one form or another, in my house, we like to quote the Eagles song, Get Over It. Have you heard that song? Glenn Fry and Don Henley got together after they'd not done anything for a long, long time, and they tagged this song onto the end of their greatest hits album. And I'd never heard it before until I bought that album. He said, it goes like this, I turn on the tube and what do I see? A whole lot of people crying, don't blame me. They point their crooked little fingers at everybody else, spend all their time feeling sorry for themselves, victim of this, Victim of that, my mama's too thin and my daddy's too fat. Get over it. I love that song. It's just great. He's all this whining and crying and pitching a fit. Get over it. Well, in a lot of in a lot of cases, in a lot of ways, most of us just need to get over it. There's a lot of stuff we need to get over. But some things you just don't get over. I mean, some wounds go so deep. Some losses are so great that you can't just say, get over it. And you carry them with you all the way into adulthood and all the way into your marriage. And if they aren't resolved through the forgiveness available to all of us in the cross of Christ, through the ministering power of the Holy Spirit to come in and heal our wounds and to wash away the... the, grime and the grit and the nastiness of the things that we experienced and the choices that we made that that made it worse, then those kinds of things can become a hidden source of conflict between you and your mate. And you can just be functioning as normal and your mate go off the deep end about something and it's like, wow, where did that come from? I don't even understand. What happened here? I'll tell you a personal story. I wasn't going to do this, but oh well. Um, I guess Krista and I had been married about six years. No, not quite. Five years. Uh, And we went to see a movie. And y'all know I love airplanes. And so we went to this aviation movie. 
and it was called Always. It's a totally forgettable movie with Richard Dreyfuss. And it's about these fire bomber pilots. You know, they, drive, they fly these big honking old World War II airplanes, and instead of dropping real bombs, they drop water on forest fires. And so the story is, it's actually a remake of a story from the 40s, and the story is the Dreyfus character crashes and dies, but he comes back and he's got an angel who is, by the way, Audrey Hepburn. And um, uh, Michaela loves Audrey Hepburn. And, uh, and so he has to help his friend. He's, he's supposed to hook his friend up with his former girlfriend who's grieving him. And, you know, it's all stupid Hollywood movie. I came out of that film in shock because it had only been like, it had been 13 years since my dad had died in an airplane crash. And I did not know that I was probably experiencing something like PTSD. I was in shock. I was just frozen and then <laughs> burst out in tears. I mean, just wailing in the car. And my poor wife is sitting next to me is like, oh my goodness, what happened? And she didn't have a clue. I mean, she just really didn't understand. And and she handled it very sensitively and very carefully. Um, but what I'm trying to tell you is there may be things buried in your spouse, traumas and tragedies, victimization. I hear so many stories of sexual abuse, of divorces, of bankruptcies, of uh, just, and it break your heart. And that stuff is buried, and it, and it has an effect on how your spouse lives their life, how they carry out their life. And something can happen and just bang, trigger that, and you're like, what did I do? And you didn't do anything. So uh, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with that? You need to learn how to use a, a skill, excuse me, called emotional, telling emotional word pictures, using emotional word pictures. It's, like, it's basically like a parable, like Jesus would do. And so when something happens and there's an explosion in your marriage and you don't understand it, you need to be able to sit down with your mate. And I learned this, by the way, from Gary Smalley and John Trent in their book called The Language of Love. Not to be confused with the five love languages by Gary Chapman, but this was The, the Language of Love by Gary Smalley and John Trent. And if you have conflict in your marriage, it'd be worthwhile for you to do this. But here's an example of an emotional word picture. My family, you, you sit down, you've had a conflict over money or something. And you sit down and you say, my family struggled financially. And when you spend money like that that isn't in the budget that we agreed on, I feel, see you're telling an emotional word picture, I feel like a small child standing in front of a charging bull and the ground is shaking and the dust is flying and I am choking and frozen in terror. And I know that you aren't the bull. And I can see the numbers that, that it won't break us financially, but it just wasn't on the budget, and that's how I feel. Can you understand that? You see, so you use a picture, a word picture, to describe how you feel, and notice what you did not do. 
What you did not do is you did not say, and when you do this, you make me feel. Mm -mm. You said, when this happens, this is how I feel. And I, and I know it's not your fault, but this is what happens inside of me. Do you understand? And then if you have a sensitive, caring mate who loves Christ and wants what's best for you in your marriage, they'll work them way, their way through and try to say, all right, I'm going to repeat back to you what I just heard so, and tell me if I've got it. Tell me if I'm, I'm, I'm connecting with you here. And that way, at, at that point in your marriage, you are working through toward healing of whatever that trauma was. You're helping your spouse at that time tap into your strengths and your ability to be objective and your understanding. And you're holding their hand, literally, and walking them through that pain and getting them out to the other side of it. And that is a powerful, powerful um, way to build intimacy and oneness and strength in your marriage. You've done the two most important things you can do in conflict resolution. You've taken responsibility for your own emotions, refusing to cast blame, and you've given your mate a window into your soul so that he or she can learn how to serve you in the midst of your fears so that you're no longer captive to them. So let me just conclude with this. If you, if you haven't realized it yet, you, you may have already picked up on it, but what we have been talking about this whole time is expectations that we bring into our marriages and the healthy ways that you go about to reset the expectations. Because in every new marriage, you have to reset the expectations. How we're going to function together is different from our parents. How we're going to function together with our money. How we're going to function together with our various uh, traumas that we bring into the marriage. So just kind of summarize the main solutions. When you find yourself in conflict with your mate, number one, recognize the differences in the way that you were raised and slow down the communication process. Recognize the differences in the way that you were raised and slow down the communication process. Number two, identify your values and set a budget. Identify your values and, and agree on a budget. And I, I want to include one other thing. When you do a budget, um, one of the most important things people leave out of a budget is celebration money. Because you can get so concentrated on, let's get out of debt, get out of debt, get out of debt. If you've achieved, you know, nine out of ten of your goals, let the tenth one go, go thou and get some ice cream. You know, you got to celebrate. You have to incentivize the success. People sometimes, they, they forget to do that. So what are our financial values? And, uh, what, and let's set a budget. And then third, be vulnerable about your wounds. Be vulnerable about your wounds. Take responsibility for your part of them and use emotional word pictures to build some understanding. I'm going to ask Kevin and the praise team to come on up and I'm going to ask all of us to bow our heads because this is kind of some, some tough stuff. And uh, spend some time asking God these three questions. And let him speak to your heart. Number one, where am I expecting my marriage to be like my parents? 
Where am I expecting my marriage to be like my parents? Number two, Lord, what are the financial values that we're living by? Are they yours? Number three, am I using the wounds of my past to justify selfish and destructive behavior? So let's just talk to the Lord and listen to what he has to say to us. Now, Father, there's no doubt, um, no doubt brokenness and unresolved issues and uh, hurts, wounds that have run very deep in some of our marriages here. Holy Spirit, I ask you to pour in your healing oil on those wounds and on those hurts. Let these wounded ones feel your presence and your healing. Cleanse away the sin that we have embraced in trying to meet our own needs and heal our own wounds. The silly, foolish, destructive things that we do when others hurt us trying to feel better. Drive us, draw us, Call us into your word so that we can learn from the heart the principles of life in the kingdom that bring blessing, that bring fullness, that bring shalom. Grant us grace and understanding, tenderness and empathy as we speak with one another, that we may build beautiful, bright, shining lights of marriages. Um, marriages that'll be a light shining on a hill. Uh, and a warm place for others to come into and seek refuge and understanding and to model themselves on. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at fccsobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.